0: This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Components. Over 800 street fitments for handlebars, bar mounts, clip-ons, brake pads, chains, and sprockets.
1: Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street. Check out renthal.com for sprockets, chains, handlebars, and pretty much all the important things on your motorcycle. Gordo. Gordo. For You, a quick question What bike do you have at home?
2: I have got three bikes at home, but the one that's working properly at the minute is a uh, Kawasaki Versus 1000 GT with all the panniers and grips and all that heated grips on it and stuff.
1: Well, as you can imagine, Gordo, if you go to rentall.com, you'll be able to check out the fit my bike option for all the parts that will improve your Kawasaki experience as well and that's probably a good way to start this show because there's a few people that want to improve their Kawasaki experience on the base of what we saw at the opening two rounds but especially in race one here in uh, Indonesia. Let's just kick off the show with uh, the tales of woe and green and it was a tough weekend for Jonathan Ray once again.
2: Oh yeah, I mean if he was looking for a slight improvement on what happened in Phillip Island he, he really didn't get it um, he toiled all weekend um, as did his teammate in most of the weekend with one noble exception so it wasn't just him but yeah, if he's looking to mount a championship campaign it's it's already very late in the day um, the new bike's just clearly not working um, the way they want it to uh, apparently they're, they're, they're are they are faster they say they're faster than last year They're testing a bit better. But if that's the case, then everybody else has obviously made a bigger jump.
1: That's the thing. It's not enough to be faster if Ducati's a lot faster. And we've seen that with how well they've performed. Obviously, we saw four Ducatis inside the top five in the final race in Phillip Island. We've seen it where lots of Ducati's able to get to the front this weekend. Rinaldi was quick. Obviously, the results didn't end up showing it for him, but he was right at the front all the way through. Bassani was regularly inside the top five. Alvaro Bautista's always going to be at the front, and then you had Danilo Petrucci in the mix as well. So you did have it where Ducati showed that once again, and just to uh, bring it from a tough weekend for Kawasaki, what about a good weekend for Kawasaki? We Chan Chu finally a winner in Supersport
2: Sport. Yeah, um, he's been knocking on the door, loads and loads of races before he actually got a win. He said twelve podiums, I think, before. Um, so thirteenth podium was actually a win. So lucky for him. Uh, no he's obviously really fast but you can see he's a bit wild and, and he's had a lot of accusations of being too trying too hard and, and not thinking his way through the races Um, and you can see see why people would say that but when he got the chance he took the risk on Saturday rode to the very limited conditions again that training regime with the Keenan and Toprak and all the guys in a green track often in, in, in Turkey um, obviously paid off and when the conditions improved in that race he was still able to hold it together so the bike sale was good uh, they've obviously got some technical advances this year that are allowed under the regulations like a uh, ride-by-wire throttle for the first time they've never had it before it's quite an old tech bike that Kawasaki um, so now they've been able to modernise it and it's not perfect he said today he finished just off podium today and he said the system is still not 100% calibrated, tuned in, ready.
1: Obviously of Gordo, you were ready for action all the way through this weekend. The same probably couldn't be said quite a lot of the grid. We had riders left, right and centre, all with uh, stomach issues, a lot of food poisoning around the paddock and uh, upset tummies. And uh, luckily, Gordo, me and you weren't really affected by it.
2: Well... I see me have got away with it, but I've still got a, you know another day to go, um, a day and a half before I get home. Um yeah, gastroenteritis. So yes, whatever the if there was one root cause, it was a viral thing that was going down the paddock, whether it was a food thing, whether it was a water thing, people forgetting to, to you know, be careful with the, the what they brush their teeth with and all that. End of the day, it struck quite a few people. Um, most notably Remy Gardner, who was declared unfit because of it. Now, normally that's an injury thing or whatever, they're letting him ride ill. But it was that bad that they said, no, you can't ride, declared unfit. And then he went out today and finished seventh in the final race from the back of the grid. So,
1: amazing. Probably ended up helping Remy, actually. He was one of the few riders able to go out there with a fresh tyre for the of race. Could be that,
2: because loads of people ran out of tyres this weekend. One of the many things we could talk about, and I don't know if we're going to get a space to fit it all in, but everybody burned through the tyre allocation because they... they savage so many tires on Friday and in F B three yesterday. So lots of people scrambling about for a tire or a sticker or whatever. And a lot of them didn't get the chance to to use the tires they wanted.
1: Well let's go with it, Gordo. We're gonna go quick hits for uh, a few of the big topics through the course of the weekend. So you got a minute, Gordo. Oh, yeah. To wrap up oh, what you know, a minute on one, on one topic, a minute on one topic. Oh, Keep okay, yourself calm there. You got a minute to explain to everyone about the track conditions that we had.
2: Right. The track is obviously not being used for motorcycle racing for a long time. Um, and it, it becomes what you call green. So you get a film <laughs> developing on it, you get dirt on it, you get uh, it, it's not being used. Um, and you, the only way that you can actually get that off is to use motorbikes to do it. There's also a lot of sand on it because we're right next to the beach. So the track needed cleaned, but cleaned in the sense of rubber down. So get rid of all the, the, the green stuff that's on the top, the literally film that develops on unused tarmac, um, and then rubber it in using the tyres, the, the, the sliding of the tyres. If we saw last weekend in Phillip Island over the top of uh, M G Hill, at, 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 at Lucky Heights you could see every tyre mark that we made all over the weekend well what we needed was that but the trouble is it was basically 60 centimetres wide on Friday and a metre wide today I'll tell you what Gordo not
1: only did you do that very well you did it in less than a minute so for your next talking point oh, I'm going to give you 55 seconds okay. um, let's look at uh, what we saw in the course of the Super Pole race why was Alex Lowe was able to take part in that one after the big crash
2: he was allowed to do so because it was a complete restart. It wasn't a continuation of that race, so he didn't have to bring the bike back to then be able to get points if he if he if somebody tapped out on track, or if he had to, um, you know, you've got to get your bike back in a certain time to be classified. But the race was null and void. The second race, the eight lap race as it turned out, not 10, was a completely new race, and therefore he is allowed to run a different bike. Obviously, you have to get that scrutineered. He hasn't got a whole bike sitting in the back ready to go, scrutineered and ready. We, we've done away with all that. So he was allowed to restart because of that. And the FIM guys were in the, the box when I went down to have a look. Um, and that was clarified by someone else later on in the day um, that that is why.
1: And obviously, Gordo, we saw in the Super Bowl race, Jonathan Ray have a crash as well. And did Ray go out on a rebuilt bike or a new bike?
2: Uh, that I don't actually know. I'm sorry, I I really don't know the answer to that one mate
1: Yeah, because I I, I thought it was a uh, a new bike he was out in the number 2 bike but uh, it does seem that he might have been out there on a rebuilt bike but I thought the key thing was Kawasaki knew the rules better than than I certainly did I was on the broadcast confused by it and had to text down to Kawasaki to find out what was happening (gasps)
2: Steve, they've changed the rules so much in the last 10 years there used to be a kind of idea you, you would start the season with a few modifications every year for years we have been changing and changing and changing the rules, and it's not just the big things like what's allowed to race and everything else. So that's the, that's basically the the issue at hand. Just when you look at
1: this weekend, then Gordo, what was the? <laughs>
2: <laughs> have we got a minute I, for this? I,
1: no, no, we're, we've moved on from that now because I'm going to ask you a ridiculous question. What was your favourite race of the weekend? Because there was oh, awful lot happening in all the races.
2: Um, uh, favourite race? Well. There was too many people falling off to have a favourite. And obviously there was, um, you know, some riders got hurt this weekend. Favourite race? Um, this,
1: seemed, because this seemed to me a bit like Estoril last year, where very different set of circumstances that were creating a great day's racing. But I,
2: I think the one where Bautista fell off, not because Bautista fell off, it's a shame he fell off and he only did because he got onto the slippery part of the track and anybody could fall off. But the synchronized nearly crashing of Jonathan and the actual crashing of Batista, just because Jonathan passed him and he passed was fair. Spoke to Batista about it. He said it was all fine. But just because he passed offline, and Batista had to wanted to try and fight back, they both went offline. Both opened the throttle. Batista actually high sided off, and Jonathan came so close to it. But that allowed Locatelli and Lois to come through. And get what were effect then their podium positions with top rank away out the front, so Jonathan just couldn't get back on on terms of them. Um, so as I say, the track surface determined everything this weekend in so many different ways. Um, if we had a completely regular racing line this weekend, the races might have all been not all been different, but there would certainly have been a lot more passes and a lot more passes that that made it um, as rather as opposed to there was quite a lot of lunging and and people. Um, taking a chance, you know, realising I've got to go on the slick bit here and had a go. Um it's all very entertaining, but it's not really acceptable to me. We can't come here or any other track and it'd be the riders have to, while they're trying to get their setup, clean the clean the track with their own tires when you've got a limited tire allocation. There there is there is no there's no excuse for not seeing this happening unless they were told Incorrect things by the people in charge.
1: I think for me, one of the best solutions for something like this, just because we don't have Super Sport 300 here, you've got two classes for the World Championship, two classes that effectively have to be, they're the only two classes that matter. We had a support class as well. That's not what people are coming to Lombok for. So this is one of those situations on Friday in particular. If we had had an additional 45 minute session, here's a couple of free tyres to be able to use for that just to be able to get it going. And you know, we finished a little bit later on the Friday, but you've got free practice one at 9 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. And then we're straight into that. You've got enough tyres to be able to to go through. And then at the end of the day, you're able to have free practice three that maybe then you're able to get a little bit clearer.
2: I, th- I think the tyre the thing is all very valid, but the trouble is this is a long haul. We've just come back from a long haul and the tyres turned up a bit late in Australia through just because the way the world is now. So, ultimately, how many more tyres have they got to bring? Um, To do what? To clean the track? I think there might be a better way of doing that. Um, And as I say, even from getting the track clean, to start with, on the line that the bikes are actually going to take, and then let the things rubber in, but it's it's taken off a lot of special tyres that are flown or shipped long ahead of time. Um, And I'm sure that costs an absolute fortune. So there has to be a better way than that. And whether that's more support classes, whether that's having a nas- making them have a national race the week before to get it all sorted out, whether it's having a special race the week before to let people come and clear a track, even if there's no spectators, just get everybody from Southeast Asia, pile them in, whatever it takes. But they, they have to do something. More tyres this weekend would have fixed it, but they didn't get them. Just when you
1: look at this weekend, Gordwell, because we're going to start now our actual chat about the uh, indonesian round the world sbk but when you look at it i'm going to ask you which one you want to start with because we're going to start with positive stories we're going to start with honda on the podium good weekend for michael van der mark obviously finishes with a big crash in race two but when you look at his performance in race one a lot of positives to take from that they had loris baz up in the second row of the grid uh two bikes in the points in the superpole race there's a a lot of positives to take for them and for honda but who do you want to start with
2: Oh, Honda, I think it was, uh, considering that Lekona had another, um, you know, some some real moments here after uh, his bad experiences last year, he was absolutely freaked out on Friday and he sat there and confessed it all to us and he was like 18th, I think, at one time. Um, That's not his natural position on a factory Honda. Um, But the way they came back, you know, the way Vierki just went for it and got what he got, okay, he got gifted, as it were, some positions because some top riders fell off or whatever. But ultimately, the way he you, know, you can see him riding the bike with true commitment today and confidence in all the things it takes to, to get there. So the fact that he finished on a podium when he's the least fancied by the outside world of those two Honda riders who are already last year two rookies with no super experience, etc. Uh, says an awful lot. He says there's a lot more to come from the bike, um but they've got to, they're still trying to find the bike in some regards. But they made changes last year and I think without them saying much about it because they never do, um, that is an indication that the bike is at least there there and thereabouts. What they need to do is get that bike sorted by mid-season and then have a solid second half of the season where both riders are podium and fighting for podiums like your Locatellis and everybody else. That'll be a success. But that's no, great to see and it's a lovely guy. You know, he's a really nice guy you know? We'll go to
1: Assen next, that's obviously where Iker owner had a podium last year, Honda's first podium with the, the new project with bringing in the two rookies and that was a track where they were actually genuinely pretty fast last year so that's going to bode fairly well for them they're going to have a lot of testing before then as well, they're going to have two days in Aragon, two days in Catalonia and you wouldn't be too surprised if they duck up somewhere else as well but uh, for Honda, this is a positive weekend, owner out of position like you said, but one of the big problems for him was he was one of the riders that lost his fastest lap in the Super Bowl session. Yeah. He should have qualified his teammate and yes. instead he ends up on the sixth yes. row of the grid.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of that. The yellow flag uh, thing came into to operation a lot for riders this weekend. I mean, a lot. Um, there was like a whole list, you know, two pages worth of lap deleted for the yellow flag, whatever, um, which is unfortunate. And, it, you know, and it, they have taken steps, some mitigations to let you have another go, etc. And tire, are but ultimately... If you get caught, you get caught. If you've not had a great qualifying session, then all of a sudden you, you need to do it. And as a yellow flag, you're, you're stuffed. You're not going to get your, your the lap you want. Um, so, yeah, it was all a bit artificial at times um, for Super Pole qualifying. What do you do about it? Well, nothing. And the problem now is that, every, as everybody says, even the riders are acutely aware this year, everybody's made so many jumps over the winter, and the quality of the bikes and the riders on the grid... We've talked about it already, there's going to be a rider who hasn't had the worst weekend of his life and he's going to not score points, he'll be 18th, and he's not had a terrible weekend, it's just that every time you make one mistake, five people come past you, in the past it was one or two, now it's five. Well that kind of
1: leads into a little bit of the chat in race two, because we saw Andrea Locatelli up at the front, he's ran out wide, He, he was actually leading the race, and he was ran out wide, lost eight. Spots, I think, and uh falls down the order. It's hard to recover from that. And that's one of those situations where for Vieira he was able to pick off riders yeah. around him and give himself the chance for that strong result. And you have to say fair play to him. It's the first time he's had a super bike podium. Obviously, he's had a lot of Grand Prix podiums and front-running pace at different times in Moto 2. So you know he's a good rider. But uh this will hopefully give him a big jump in his confidence, a big lift in his confidence, and then get back to Europe, tracks he knows and you wait and see if he's able to do something. Because he's a rider under pressure. Like you said, the outside world considers that going to be the top Honda rider. Honda think that as well. That's why he was on the Suzuka bike last year. He's the guy that Honda will prioritise keeping hold of for next season, both riders with the contract up.
2: Yeah, and I think that the, the, definitely the, those guys need to prove themselves. Both of them, to be honest, in my opinion, both of them need to prove themselves properly. And if they don't, then who knows what will happen. But that's a long way in the distance. They've got a lot of chances to, to show themselves. Um and the you know, Vierki has definitely shown that he can do it when he gets the opportunity. Some people thought he might not have. He might have it would have been so easy for him to crash today and he didn't. Now that shows you something in tricky conditions, without lots of other people having moments and stuff around him, he managed to hold it together, pack Man his way to the front and get a podium.
1: Pac-Man as well. I like that one. Gordo. That's an old
2: school reference there. Sorry, sorry. Don't, don't you worry about sorry, that. I'm quite the reference.
1: Pac-Man aficionado. Um, but just when you look at uh, obviously BMW is the other side of that coin because the two super concession manufacturers they're always going to be contrasted to one another. This was a positive weekend for BMW. Obviously, we saw Scott Redding furious punching his motorcycle. I feel yeah, P- punching through the through the screen and then the tank and coming into the pit box and effing him blinding at the team about the the bike and the issues he was having. But when you look at the other side of the pit box, Michael Vandermark's been super calm all the way through the winter. Phillip Island went very well for Vandermark. He was pretty much always the fastest BMW rider. This weekend, Vandermark, in race one in particular, super impressive to be able to come through. He ended up on the fourth row of the grid. Again, one of the riders lost the lap with the yellow flag. He ended up rolling off, so he missed out on his fast time. But he would have been further up the grid than 10th. Don't think he would have been up there in the second row of the grid like Doris Baz, but there would have been a good chance for Mark up there. Again, in race conditions, we saw how strong he was on, on Saturday and came really strong at the end, came like a train to come through from, I don't know, must have been 10th spot into 5th by the end. And uh, for Mikey, that's something that's going to give him a lot of confidence going forward. Obviously, the weekend didn't end well for him.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, he was, he was happy. He was genuinely happy and he's had a lot of hard times recently. And he was grinning all over his face when, when he came in after the, the result of the first race. And he was speaking calm and positive about it all. He wasn't. We were given him plenty of opportunities to say, well, what's wrong with the bike? What, what do you think you can do? is, is the bike got a limit? Etc. And he was very even and open about his bike. So I think he has actually found a setting now that's kind of transferring for him.
1: Yeah, and... Um... I just had dinner with Mikey actually goes we're recording this Sunday night and just bumped into him downstairs in the hotel he's beaten up after yeah. today's crash massive crash yeah, yeah. he was as he said himself lucky to walk away from that considering everything that happened last year yeah, yeah. He, he was joking that uh, you, you need to have crashes after you've had an injury but he didn't need to have two like this Philip Island last week this one this week yeah. just massive crashes but at least able to to come away from him pretty unscathed. He's got a hand injury from it. So uh, he'll be a little bit hampered for a while. But says nothing to worry about considering what it could have been. But when you look at it. For him he's taken that calm methodical approach to it. Himself and his crew chief Marcus. They're working towards a common goal. And it's up to Marcus to figure out the bike. It's up to Mikey to give the feedback. And then leave. Get himself ready for, for his race. And When you look at the other side of the pit box. You just see emotion all the time and emotion's great in racing you need to you need to have that passion you need to have that fire but when you're trying to work towards finding a solution being that emotive
2: it doesn't help well the funny thing is I spoke to Scott I did an interview with Scott proper like 25 minute interview for a magazine story I'm doing Um, and Friday I think it was Friday and he was calm personified calmness personified he was the most, he, I was expecting him to be a bit spitty and, and, and not happy about the way things are going, and even though we were throwing things back to, going back to, because uh, obviously they are pretty tough weekend the Philip as well, going back to that very first weekend he had, where last year, where he was, I mean, he just thought, oh no, what have I done, this is terrible, and everybody in the team was thinking, oh no, we brought this guy to win, and nothing for any of them was working, and it was all looking a bit of a disaster then, through the season, he got some podiums and so on. So I was surprised that he was so angry. I'm not surprised, but he was so calm and chilled out and Zend and seemingly happy with life, knowing there's a big mountain to keep climbing with a bike. But obviously that changed pretty quick. That mood went as soon as he started getting on track and not being able to do what he wanted to do.
1: One of the things I found quite interesting this weekend was after everything that happened after the winter, there were rumours about you know the comments Scott's made, whether or not BMW were... Going to be able to accept, you know, yeah. being told BMW are more interested in selling bikes than winning races. And well, fair should, enough, they, they probably should be the motorcycle
2: manufacturer. But yes, I, I mean, I understand why he might have made those comments. But I, I mean, you know, you can't riders. There has to be a limit what a rider can say about a manufacturer, especially about the manufacturer. Talk about the bike, talk about the setup, talk about the, the the people around them, the the whatever. You know, as long as they've got a valid point to make. But yeah, that, that's going to get somebody in trouble. And I think he's he's we haven't been able to speak to him a couple of times in the start of the season. Whether or not it was him, whether it was BMW, whatever. But I cut, the test I went to in Port Mar, we just went out allowed to speak to him. And it was like, well, what do you mean? And he's just gone. So it was good to speak to him on Friday. But it seems it's obvious that thing still, the whole project is still not quite on beam. But we're seeing those rays of light. But to me, those rays of light were podiums last year even though they were very typical Scott Redding podiums where it was like, just give me the bike and ride. And I think maybe sooner or later they're just going to get to that stage where he's just going to say, I don't want any it changes. I'll just swap my way around I'll find a way around it. But I think it was probably easier to find a way around it on a Ducati than it was on a BMW. Ducati's a bike to have, especially in 2023.
1: Yeah, and uh, today Scott was, again, a little bit vocal about Bautista, the domination that we've been able to see. Yeah. At the end of the day, Alvaro's won five out of six races. But you know, Scott's been pretty keen to stress his feelings on this on a pretty regular basis. Baptiste obviously saying, you were on this bike before, mate, you weren't able to do it, so yeah. stop being jealous, effectively. Um, well, what did you think of the aftermath of today from, from
2: Scott? Um, I didn't get a chance to speak to him personally. Um, yeah, he's, he's going to, I, I, everybody's got a point about Alvaro and being the size he is and the height he is and all the things, right? Everyone understands that. Um, but you can't do anything about that unless you do start doing major changes in the rules. And they've, they've said already they're not going to do it. They're just not going to do it. They're, they're just not going to uh, do the, the weight limit in the foreseeable future, the, the kind of combined weight limit thing. So we we can talk about it. But if they're not going to do anything about it, we have to find another way around it. But what the, the problem is that Alvaro is riding the bike perfectly; he's not making any mistakes, and the bike is a lot better than it was before. So he's not he's not been forced into mistakes. He's made one today, but everybody's human. Um, it was Johnny for five years, you know, six years.
1: Wow, well, five years. Five years. Six championships, but five years.
2: Yeah, but I mean, it's just that's the way it is,
1: you know. Just about that, though, Gordo, because obviously. When you have a rider like Batista, perfectly tuned for that bike and a bike that suits him perfectly, you're going to have success. But I think that the big concern for a lot of the other manufacturers, a lot of the other teams and riders is whenever you see what we saw in Australia. Philip Ertel on the Go 11 bike making a massive jump into round one. We did see that this weekend, much more of a struggle for Ertl. Obviously, he was involved in the Vandermark crash. And uh, thankfully, he's all right after that as well, because that was a nasty looking incident. Yes. But um, for Ertl, we saw that step back. He was able to do what you need to do as an independent rider. When you get a chance, take advantage of it. The bike worked really well in Phillip Island. He was able to get a good result. You'd expect places like Misano with high track temperatures, Catalonia, all these races that you're going to see a lot of Ducatis to the fore in those races. But this is probably more of a concern. And this is probably where the, the balancing for the manufacturers is an interesting talking point because with Scott Smart having left the FIM as the technical director for Superbike Racing, there's a new man in charge and then you wait and see what kind of stamp you're going to get from that.
2: Well, the new guy in charge, we we, we know but don't really know, um, but I think there is ultimately, the only person that really understood how the whole thing worked was Scott and if he's not there anymore then the new guys come in cold from everything um, and what you know, we've we've already seen a few things this weekend about things being allowed, not allowed. It all seems a little bit messy at the moment, as may be expected when when somebody leaves, when the you know before the start of a season, or somebody has to come in cold. But the balancing rules are there. We just need to instigate them. If if Dornev believe or, or the FIM believe that we were unbalanced, then they can cut more revs. They can do various things through the balancing rules, but they haven't chose to do so. The the guy had a cut of two hundred and fifty revs at the beginning. But they haven't done it again since. If that's the way they think, if they really think it's getting too much, and there's plenty of evidence that the, the Ducati's becoming a bit much with the allowable higher revs, well, let them go on mate.
1: Just one thing about that as well, Gordo, because it is always one of the interesting subplots about the, the balancing rules. Obviously, Kawasaki lost 500 revs at the same time as Ducati, and they've never gotten them back. When you look at the way the Kawasaki is now, The 500 revs isn't going to help them either. Like we saw this weekend, it was just a tough slog. Jonathan Ray, Alex Lowe's, both of them struggling in in the races. We saw the the front tire, the biggest issue because presumably you're having to just ride so, so hard to try and make up for the deficiencies you have elsewhere. But that's just a struggle now. And I think it's one of those things that for a lot of Kawasaki fans, they need to just realize the 500 revs isn't
2: going to suddenly make them run at the front. Well, the Kawasaki lost, I think, a thousand revs a few years ago, and weren't given five hundred revs back when they thought they should do. So the Kawasaki used to be the most highly tuned, if you like. That's why they brought in all this stock revs plus three percent, so that they couldn't go above. And then Ducati built a bike, you know, or their bike happened to be able to do that. The Honda is obviously very high revving, big, big bore bike, um, low inertia, etc. Uh, but Kawasaki's live on the front end both riders have said this The, the Alex especially the, the Kawasaki performs best on that entering a corner, front end stability, point it where you want to that's where they've got an advantage well oh, they've lost that advantage now as you say front tyre was the big deal for them this weekend so whatever else has happened in the bike or just the consequence of the new engine specification which is not a million miles from what they had but it's obviously different that seems to be hindering their corner entry at the two rounds we've seen so far we'll know this after six different races the absolute reality but that is what they say is the biggest problem front tyre wear here is very harsh so that doubles the problem so you can see why Alex fell like a stone in, in, in race two just going back
1: yeah I think the the older tyre as well the different allocation it, yes the, this, absolutely this was a fact for a lot of riders but just um, to look at it as well Gordon like, um, you mentioned there as well like the fact that we need more information we've had Phillip Island The biggest uh, wild card you get all the time. You can never read anything into Phillip Island. Here this weekend, it's 55 degrees track temperature and a racing line that's a metre wide. Mm. So again, it's tough to read into that. It is going to be asin that we start to see a little bit of the true picture. This is a Jonathan Ray track. He's had so much success there. We know how good Johnny is. Yes. But... We have to wait and see exactly where kind stack up, but it still doesn't 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 look, look doesn't look too promising for them at this stage.
2: Well, Arsen has got the reputation over the years as a racetrack that you don't have to have a mega engine at. you need to have enough engine to stay with the other guys. You need to be able to slipstream if you don't have as good an engine as the other guys. but ultimately, all you really need is a bike that steers sweetly that handles well, that goes where you point it. And then you can take on Assen, as a, in a completely fair fight. So that's why we've seen lots of people piling up at the front at Assen over the years. Then they drop off as tires and and other things come into play, and set up how good you set up for all the laps. But Assen is not a horsepower track. So if the if the issues they have are related, in some regard, to. The, in, the new engine causing the, the bike to handle differently or, or react differently or just not be as fast as they hoped it to be. It shouldn't matter as much at Asin. So for Lowes as well, Asin might be a, a step change in his ability. Okay, I mean, we're, you know, end of the day, Lowes has taking a podium already. Jonathan took one in Australia. You know, it's, it's a disaster by their relative performances so far. And what I do use the word disaster because they've used it.
1: Yeah, and uh, we're going to take a quick break on the Paddock Pass podcast, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Kawasaki, but in particular, that battle between both riders during the course of the opening two rounds.
0: Renthal Fat Bars are synonymous with off-road world champions. The Renthal Street Fat Bar draws from decades of experience to create the ultimate 28mm handlebar in a range of street-specific bends. Whether you're looking to alter the height, width, rise or sweep of your handlebar, Renthal Street handlebars offer a bend to suit your requirements. Use the WorksFit handlebar comparison tool at renthal.com to find the perfect bend.
1: Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street. Gordo, I mentioned just before the break that we were going to chat about Kawasaki and the Jonathan Ray versus Alex Lowe's dynamic because this has been one of the interesting stories really because Sunday in Phillip Island, we saw them go bar to bar all the way around for most of the day we've seen that over the course here in indonesia as well race one in particular we were able to see a a real scrap at the end of the race jonathan ray coming through and um what what was your thinking on this battle because it was for what ninth and tenth position in race one it was you know this this was this was a strange one for me because we're so used to seeing johnny at the front this is the startling realisation of where Kawasaki are because it is a, always been the case where for JR, he's had the the bike to overcome or he's had he the talent to overcome any of the issues he's had with the bike to stay at the front. Now he's in that mid-pack battle and it reminds me a little bit of Scott Redding when Scott switched to BMW because you then have to adapt to everyone attacking you at all the times because they sense blood in the water and... Johnny's, at the end of the day, Johnny's the best shark in the world because as we saw in in this race, just like in Phillip Island, anytime someone comes past him, all he wants to do is get back through. It doesn't matter what impact it has on your race. He's making sure that your race is behind him.
2: Yeah, and I think that the biggest issue there for both Kawasaki riders, but Jonathan especially, is is he's used to having a bike where the front end's great and you can overtake people. You overtake people on the front end unless you've got a 25 horsepower more than them down the street. So Johnny's had that bike in the past, and he's always been able to have that bike in the past. That's where and that's where he lives. That's why he finds it easy to overtake people. Because the bike's not performing in that area the way it was before, he can't pass people. How many times have we heard since Philip Island in here that he just couldn't get past someone? On his own, his pace is probably faster than some of the people in front of him, but he can't work away around him. Even Jonathan who six time champion and, and, and we've seen some of the passes he's put on people over the year. But when his bike's not letting him do it, even Jonathan can't do it. So I think that we're getting back to again the same series of issues that are stopping him. And he's also riding with people he doesn't know. He's riding in a group of you know a group of six people um and he's not able to get past them and he's getting frustrated. So he's having to barge past. Passing Alex in the first race, where he did and then allowing Nagata through was yeah it didn't look like the greatest decision ever made and I'm sure Alex wasn't very happy about it
1: I do think if the shoe was on the other foot it would be interesting to see the reaction from Kawasaki obviously Ray with so much success over the years for Kawasaki but now it's a very different battle you've got to yeah. try and drive things forward and it is going to be the storyline going into Aston to see how they stack up. Just to look at uh, Lowe's as well, because obviously he was one of the big talking points on Sunday. We saw podium in the Super Bowl race. Obviously, we've already talked about the uh, the red flag, but the big incident with uh, Petrucci and Baz at the start of the race, and then another instance with Loris, Loris Baz, where Loris dangles his leg and gets hit, and unfortunately for Loris, fractured ankle and uh, bad injury from that but just bad luck for that one. But going back to the first instant, there was very different opinions oh, about uh, what I'll it say, kicked off.
2: I will say, um, no, Alex and uh, Patricia just blamed each other I said, you know, Patricia get laid into Alex in the post-race uh, press conference. Um, and, you know, just saying it's it, not right, etc.
1: Pretty harsh uh, words being said from both riders over the course of uh, the Super Bowl race, Gordon, because we did hear from Alex Park Fermi saying uh, that he needed to go and talk to Petrucci and uh, see what the what his side of the story was. And uh, you could see a lot of frustration from it. And obviously Petrucci, after the the bar fight comment about the Super Bowl race in Australia, this wouldn't have done him any thoughts about uh, thinking that uh, Superbike is going to be a calm place for him to, to
2: turn up and race. No, um, he's definitely not a fan of the sprint race. He says it's just too much risk, too many people just trying too many things. He just... It's all a bit uh, beyond what should be happening. Um and Lowe's was equally adamant that he didn't do you know, he it wasn't his fault that the the, the first accident happened. Um it's a racing incident, you know, you can look at it that way. Uh, right and wrong, we need to see twenty different angles. And even the VAR gets it wrong in football sometimes. So even though twelve you could put twelve X racers in a bar and show them the same incident and you'll get not twelve different opinions, but you'll probably get four or five, and that's the way it is. You know, um, every rider thinks they're right all the time, um. But Petrucci, yeah, I think he's 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 for a guy who is very very, he's been a very successful racer, and he's not scared, but he doesn't like. He he, he said he was scared the super sport race. Super poor race. He, he's not a fan of the ten lap race because he thinks people just take their brain out too much
1: yeah i will say as well last year whenever he moved over to america for a season in moto america there was a few moments similar to this as well so it'd be interesting to see what happens in the next few rounds because obviously aston there's a few corners leading into each other like what we had at the start of the lap here so it'd be uh, quite key to see the approach for it just about the instant as well like when you look at it on the exit, because we didn't get a good view of it. There's there's no angle that actually shows no, it. Not, I've seen that. But when we see the outboard, outboard shot coming through turn one, you've got Lowe's in front, Petrucci's on the outside. Obviously, with the Ducati, he's able to have that extra momentum. Yeah. And he clearly gets in front of Lowe's. Lowe's hits him from behind, so Petrucci is in front. But on the outside, into that corner... Lowe's saying that Petrucci comes in on top yeah, of Petrucci's he, he moved over. He said that's what
2: he said. He moved over in the wrong place is what Alex is redone. it was.
1: Yeah. So it is one of those, instead, if you had a clear view, you'd be able to see it a little bit better, obviously. But uh, all that we saw at the end of it was a massive crash, a bike torn in half, and then a scramble to get back for the for the red flag. Just to talk about the other incident that we had with Lowe's in uh, the afternoon, we saw him... Uh, tag. Sorry, just a couple of in the restart race, we saw him then uh, tag Loris Baz, and this was as Laura said, just bad luck, bad timing.
2: Yeah, some people are adamant that he should never have made the maneuver and everything else. I've I've had people today saying to me, no, no, that's out of pale. You 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 have, there has to be intervention. He has to be punished for that. He's made it even if he just made a mistake, he has to pay some penalty. And other people saying well, this is just a racing incident. Uh, he didn't realise it. He went for a pass, and then Loris put his leg out to do the leg dangle. Um, and some and some people say, oh, he should have anticipated he might have done that in the modern racing. A lot of people put their leg out and all that. Um, but he, he was going for a, a chance to pass, and I'll put my Tuppence safety in at this point and say, well, on a track with a regular surface, Maybe he would have given another half meter just because he would have had it. But he knows the further off that line he gets, that he was developing, the less grip he's got. So he's going to try and pass. You're going to have to try and pass next to someone rather than doing a big sweep out beyond them. And you know, um. But to me, how is he supposed to know that if the leg was out already and he did it, then obviously it's Alex's fault. But it, that's not what I saw happening. He he braked with 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 Baz he Baz in front. And now it's coming along to pass. Confident he could do it. And all of a sudden the light comes out. I don't think either of them could have done much about it. But people can argue all they want about it.
1: Yeah, you're also not racing a Moto3 bike where you can change the direction a lot easier. You're on a big super bike with a lot of centrifugal force taking you where you're going to go. But the other side of that incident as well was Lowe's makes the Apex and passes Bassani as well. So he's able to make a clean move from it. It's just bad luck, as as Loris was at pain to say. Just to to talk about that as well, you mentioned about people thinking there should be penalties for it. What did you make of the, the penalties, some of them a little bit lack of there thereof during the course of the weekend? There was a there was a fair discussion after the races about uh, some of the decisions from race direction.
2: Yeah, Bassani got a, a penalty in one of the races for making a pass that would just that, that's how you pass, it's, it's, it was a minor block pass, nothing and he got a penalty for that um, Agatha got penalised uh, who else? Uh, remind me Steve, it's very late on Sunday night who else got, who? what other instance are we talking about here? Uh, well I think probably the, the, the
1: biggest well Jonathan for Cruising on the line in the yes. super, and no complaints from Johnny about that yeah, as and well. He, and he, he, he held his hands up and said it was it was the wrong thing that he did. Yeah,
2: I think he just didn't realize the yeah. guy was there, and maybe he uh, didn't realize was there say, was there was two bikes there, there as two, well. There was so. two bikes coming in and, and, and everything else, but he he's the first one to put his hand up say "No, uh, I said I think
1: I think the the biggest discussion point was obviously we had those penalties for not a lot, and then no penalty for Nicola Bulliga in the super sport race. Yes, and this this, this was totally that, totally this was things this things was like. the probably the the biggest one because there was a precedent set in Phillip Island with Petrucci losing a spot for clashing with Vieira and uh, Vieira loses one place, yeah. at one point. So was it a massive incident? I think if there was no penalty given, nobody would have really batted an eyelid for that one. But no penalty for Bulaga for coming in and cleaning out van stralen you know he makes a mistake and fair enough you can make a mistake you're trying to make a move like it's a it's a race you have to come through but uh there was a a big penalty for van stralen he crashes out of i think it was fifth place at the time that's big points for his team and then on sunday he has a crash in race two so it ends up no points for him and i thought i thought this was this probably wasn't quite cricket
2: Yes, I mean, again, you'll have those 10 different opinions from 10 different people, but that there has to be some consequence to not just everybody can make a mistake, mistakes are mistakes. But that's, you know, you don't, you're not just allowed to pass people and bars them out of the way. You're not allowed to cut in where they can't see them and, and, and people clash into you because they suddenly don't expect you to be there. Um, that is the difficulty. And it's always going to be a judgment, but there has to be consistency. It's like any sport. People go mad when you don't get consistency. What was a penalty last week isn't a penalty this week and all the football crowd going. nuts. Well, it's the same in bike racing. It's more dynamic and it's different, but we all know what the rules are and we can all have a partisan opinion if you're part of one team or, or another team. We're not. We're just guys looking at this thinking, what has happened? Reporting it to people, describing it to people, explaining some of the finer points that... of the sport or whatever to people based on what other people tell us and based on the experience we have ourselves but yeah the Boulogne thing was just a little bit yeah he he didn't have and why did he have to pass it, he didn't have to pass there wait till you can do it, if you think this, especially the, the track conditions at this track we keep going on about it but it's because it affected every single thing, on another track that might have been just a bit of a clash and somebody goes off, here they're off Every time anybody contacted anybody when they were remotely offline this weekend, they crashed, or they nearly crashed, or they had to run off in a, in a fashion that they wouldn't do in a, in a regular surface. So I think it's double important here to stop people doing reckless things, to making those big moves which are, are just too big.
1: Yeah, and obviously, though, it's quite a tricky one because for the last three years, we've ood and had a Top Rack versus Johnny it's been bar to bar it's been a knife fight at all times yes. and it's been amazing but now if this is the precedent that's been set it then means that you you can't have battles like that you can't have Johnny versus Top
2: Rack but i don't think it's that i think it's the both they, they knocked each other off in Assen last year, as far as I'm concerned. There was no right and no wrong. They both just, they, they should both have calmed down a wee bit in the, that the race, races. You just said, hey, OK, let's get through this. But he still wasn't running away. You know, the, 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 there was no need for it. It was, it was, with hindsight, in 10 years they'll sit there and it go, was, why did they do that?
1: It was a racing incident,
2: and that's what can incident. happen. But the pass from below didn't have to happen there. There was no need for it you know it could wait another corner it could wait till it's somewhere cleaner when you just take a risk especially on a track like this then and you and you get away with it that's fine but when you don't get away with it and someone else pays then there should be some kind of penalty and again how much of a penalty
1: yeah and and what i mean with the preston gordo was more in the super sprite class where we saw with Agatha and Basari. Yeah. but um it is definitely like i said if if you make a mistake and someone else pays the price for that mistake then uh, it it should be looked at. And uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens when we get to Aston. Everyone sits down. We've had, we'll have have five, six weeks between races. And then it'll be interesting to see what is decided. Obviously, we'll have Super Sport 300 coming out in Aston as well. So uh, they'll obviously have their pre-season briefing with race control and the FAM stewards. And then we'll wait and see what happens when we get back to Europe. Obviously, this weekend's a, a tricky one with the track the way it is. But given how tricky it was... What about Andrea Locatelli as your star of the weekend?
2: Yeah, he's definitely made a wee step in himself. He's a very cool customer. He's quite shy. He doesn't really like talking about anything except racing. Every question you ask him, he always ends up coming back to the racing and talking about times and setup and all that. He's a fairly intense, quiet, shy guy. Um, but it's he's, he's working now. It's definitely working for him now. That is is that. That is a, an improvement that has been coming um, but you look at Ronaldi and Ronaldi's up and down more than locatelli has been. That's why Locatelli's is where he is in the championship.
1: Just when you mentioned they're shy and, uh, you know, focused on his racing and uh, quite quiet, that's not the words you'd use to describe his crew chief Andrew Pitt
2: Andrew is a legend. I love the boy dearly. He's um, he's the most uh, he's he's everything Andrew. He's happy. He's he's gruff. He's kind. He's he's every single thing. He's he's, he's, he's he's a solid human being in the middle of it all. But, you know, when he's not happy with you, he's not shy telling you. I have to at say. all. Ever.
1: I, I think everyone in the paddock loves Petty, And you want him in your corner. But I remember when Locker got the, got the ride. Because obviously the expectation was, well, Garrett Gerloff's doing very well. He should be on the Paddy Yamaha bike. And um, we've seen how that's all worked out. Yamaha made the right decision, Locke has been a, a great success yeah, for them as the number two. At the time, I think if you were to put pity on the truth serum, he would have been a bit pissed off. He missed out on having a different guy. It seemed that Locke, uh, you know, is this the guy you want to have on your bike? It is. And I think what's been interesting is the way that they've evolved they'll be annoyed not to have come away with three podiums. They'll be annoyed yeah. with a top five finish in race two. And I think that's the step that we've really seen from them. And they've been so good through the course of the winter in these first two rounds.
2: They're very suited because they're very serious about everything. They, they don't want to have any problems on the bike. They don't want to have any any, any no stone unturned. Um, and they're, inten- they're, they're very, very intense. And obviously Andrew is a former racer, so he understands when Locatelli says this. That he's got a a point of reference which is still a 1000cc super fast motorcycle Mm -hmm. MotoGP and super bike so he understands what the rider's point of view is, like all good crew chiefs, you can't be the rider, you have to but you do, I think it is an advantage if you understand all the technical side as well to have been a rider as long as you're not trying to ride through the rider and that's what, Andrew understands that he's not Locker and Locker style is Different. What what Locatelli's done now is is managed to maintain enough of his previous six hundred style and maybe Motor Two style and add to add it to the big power of superbike. He still needs to work on the back end, getting the maximum out of the bike on the back end as well as on the front end. But it's, it's actually working. It's actually working. We can see that now. Um and even when Toprak was struggling a bit at the beginning of the year, Locatelli was more solid.
1: Just when you look at Yamaha, right, you've got Pity on one side. Phil Maron on the other is the two crew chiefs. And they're two of that very modern mold of crew chief. Let's make sure that the rider has everything they need. If you think back to, especially say the old 500 days, it really did come down to your setting sheets, your knowledge and technically getting all your ducks in a row. Superbike's obviously been a little bit different than that, but ever since we evolved into having more and more electronics on the bike, it moved away from being the crew chief doing everything to then becoming that coordinator for the people mm-hmm. that know all those things. Mm-hmm. And when you look at Yamaha, they've got two of the best crew chiefs going. They've got Toprak, for me still, the the best rider in the world. And 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 it's certainly in Superbike paddock, in terms of the talent and what he's able to do. But now you've got Locatelli able to learn so much from Toprak, and he's close now. He just needs that final step. And I think it's one of those, things that for Yamaha, I think they can't wait until he gets that last 1%. And I think that's going to come from beating Toprak in a straight-up fight. And you asked the question today to Laka, can it come in Aston?
2: Yeah. Asin's made for a rider like him. It was his place he got his first podium. Um, it's front-end enough for him to be happy. Um, he's obviously a, a smooth and front-end rider by nature. Um, and he's got a fast enough factory bike to be able to do that. Yamahas are always generally sweet handling motorbikes. Um, so he should have all the tools to, to maybe take it to top rack. Let's see what Batista does. Let's see what Ray does. But I don't see the reason why Locatelli can't have his best chance to beat his teammate properly um, in an absolute straight fight there because he finished on his back wheel a couple of times in the past. When and his rookie year, I think it was his rookie year, wasn't it? When yeah. he got that, when they both stayed on the green and they lost the first podium and then got in the second, that was his first season. So now, if we've seen this degree of improvement from him, which isn't a thousand percent, but it's enough for him to be suddenly sticking his shoulders above Rinaldi and Lowe's and all the rest of the guys that are vying for that first of the big three, but he's actually separating the big three. Yeah, and just
1: uh, when you move on from Yamaha, you mentioned Rinaldi. And uh, it is the comparison that's always going to be made because Locke is doing such a solid job right now. And we've seen that over the course of the last two years. It's been solid, not spectacular from Locke, But he's always achieved what he has to do. And he's finished, what, fourth and fifth in the World Championship the last two years. So he's he's not done a lot wrong. And um, Rinaldi, on the other hand, has, unfortunately... And this weekend we saw a big mistake from Michael. There's so much potential there. Yeah. The high marks are so good from Rinaldi. Yeah. But when you look at it already this season, we had the disaster in the rain in Philippi. And that's obviously, you rule that out. There's nothing, nothing that you can read into that. But this weekend in Mandelica, we saw a rider that was so fast all the way through the weekend. And he ends up coming away. No podiums, a crash on... Saturday's opening race of the weekend where he was lucky not to take out his team we did see him he took avoiding action from Bautista yeah to make sure he didn't hit his teammate he ended up clipping the rear of uh, Bassani and then having a big crash or a heavy crash on his head and then we saw over the course of the weekend I think it was three crashes from him maybe four crashes I think it was three crashes one in free practice one in race one and then one in the the warm-up session as well but then in the rest of the races the potential didn't really end up being shown and you know it was unfortunate for Michael because there's a lot of circumstances going to that
2: The the problem is that Michael has definitely improved this year, his psychology his mental toughness, all those things but suddenly something went a bit awry here I'm not counting that wet race, that was a set up thing in attack, there was yeah, something no wrong, doubt. When wrong you're two and a half seconds, seconds away from the win, I mean there's something drastically yeah. wrong there, he's not and he's a good wet weather rider so something wrong there but we have heard Michael say in the past oh I need to eradicate these mistakes that's the next step and everything else so he's changed so much everybody I know that knows him and there's a lot of people knowing better than me saying oh no he's a different Michael this year everything else to me it's how he bounces back from this weekend because we thought he'd had his bad race in that first one in Australia it's not what happened here obviously knocks your confidence when you do it but he's 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 fast it's how he tests and gets better and understands what happened to fix. If he can't do that, he's not going to make it.
1: The one thing as well is obviously if race two hadn't have had the red flag, he had three seconds at hands and Batista at that stage. Yeah. He was riding really well, looking yeah. comfortable. He might well have been able to pick up that race win, certainly would have been in a position to get the podium. And then we look at his weekend very differently. That's the knife edge. Yeah, that you have at this
2: this all, stage of the season. That they're especially. all running on. And again, he got passed by two or three people when he ran, on, he ran wide. You know, it might have been nobody before. Now it's two or three people already there. And you look how close some of the races were this weekend. It might not, you know, once the races settle down, you have passes here and passes there. But some of the gaps weren't very big in the, this weekend.
1: And uh, Gordon, we've pretty much gone through an hour of the weekend in Indonesia, barely mentioning Bautista. Yeah. Uh, again, double weight race winning the feature length races the crash in the Super Bowl race but I think the reason we haven't really mentioned them is you almost take it for granted he's going to win races but there was so much else to talk about this weekend and, and I'm actually going to ignore him for the final five minutes as well because Super sports. Sorry Alvaro <laughs> Sorry Alvaro for that yes but uh, Super sports. we mentioned Shannon Chu picking up the race victory but we had five different manufacturers inside the top five in race one we had inside the top six Caracasulo able to finally get that race win on the Ducati it's been coming for so long good to see for Karika. and Supersport like looks really good with all these next gen rules over the, the last two years we've been able to see a big step forward in the class it's very competitive I thought Manzi's ride today it was stunning and if he had been rewarded with the race victory it would have been something else but yeah. small mistake on the last lap yeah. but you have to say fair play to Tencati because they turned around a miserable weekend
2: yeah, no, absolutely. I think Mans is a quality rider. He's going to be up the front there. I think Navarro will come good when he gets his head down it and um is fully back into being himself. Um, Tinkat are too good with too many riders. In the past for them not to have too good riders by the end of the season. I think Navarro's obviously cut above the second rider last year. You you name it with them, we'll be fine. But we what we need to do now is make sure that those balancing rules that were done very well, um continue to be done very well because the ducatis are showing all the signs of being able they creep away now they keep getting <sighs> wee bits and pieces here and there um yeah that's that's something we need to keep our eye on is how far the ducati could go because in theory a 955 v twin it's just gone just
1: uh especially gordo when you look at it as well like if you're running the or 6 it's a bike where you have to buy a lot of the upgraded tuned kit and are you going to beat the Ducati? You know, it takes a lot, you know, so that's where down the line, it, it becomes easier to just say, Do you know what, if I'm an independent team, if I've just got to raise the money to have a bike, then uh, let's just run the Ducati. And that's where it becomes really important how they monitor the, the regs.
2: Well, you look at Civil sport, and already we're seeing a, a kind of pattern emerging this year. We've got all five manufacturers there. They've all got riders there that are capable of taking podiums or have done so already. So, the Yamaha domination is not there, partly because a lot of riders are, not, are just not on Yamaha's anymore. They've gone and rode someone else. But you look at where the Yamaha's finished this weekend, and it's a spread. So there, may, there still might be a lot of them, and they might be a very potent thing to have. But to me, now you've got to have one of the best ones to compete. The Kawasaki's been allowed to have an upgrade with a ride by wire, and maybe that'll be enough. But there is one factory Kawasaki this year, but it's other than you having a mega problem and the, the the silly problem in the wet first race in Australia. Mm-hmm. He's been on it fighting for podiums and so on. And won his first race this weekend. That that always we'll now see if he's one of those guys that once he wins his first one. He's gone. Obviously today, the the bike does not that of like he doesn't like the heat, just like the superbike. It really doesn't like it. And that's why On again looked like he was going to win the second race today. And I thought, okay, here we go again. But he didn't. Because other people had, and he said it wasn't tire drop. It wasn't, in in the hot conditions the other bikes ultimately worked better. So he just couldn't keep the pace, and they had better pace. And than this, at the this end. was one
1: of the things we saw. Whenever the pack caught him up, he was still doing a thirty six zero. He was still doing fast lap times. Yeah, yeah. But it's they just were just that, faster. They had that little step on. We
2: but we but better over the full race distance in the very hot conditions. That's it.
1: Obviously, Gordon. Next time up, it is awesome, and uh, always fun to get to get to and, 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 and i'm gonna say it just to annoy adam wheeler always fun to get to the cathedral always uh for superbikes, a big crowd as well they've been able to see michael van der mark back on form this season fully fit we're gonna have a, a decent crowd at that round and it's always a good atmosphere and a round that you look
2: forward to oh is one of those places that even in the wet is magnificent you know especially it's in the wet. Uh, it's, it's an astonishing place. Um, it's The Dutch are so... There's two type of Dutch people, really straight people and slightly less than. Uh, different alternative lifestyles, let's say. Holland, you know, that, that track is in the middle of farming country, whatever. It's northern Holland. It's no, not Amsterdam. It's not whatever. What uh, David Emmers would to,
1: like to say it's not Rotterdam. That's his favourite place in yeah,
2: But it's just astonishing. It's an amazing place. How many tracks that have got that degree of old Blazerati running them, which they do, and committees, and all sorts of different interests. It's a weirdly uniquely owned and, and run place, Assen. Those people never change the racetrack. They never bow to safety concerns. They Assen, and the way, maybe it's because the Dutch are such good traders and they're so pragmatic, whatever. How many, I've, been, I've probably been at five different Assens. There's probably been ten different Assens over the years with the old road course and everything else, they are not scared to change and hack about with one of the greatest racetracks ever. And they've still managed to keep enough of it that everybody can't wait to get there because it's unique. I, Amazing, I love, really. What a trick they've pulled off over these last 20 years.
1: I love that about Aston, because the new track compared to the old one, it, yeah, it, 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 it doesn't compare. It doesn't compare, but, but it's
2: still brilliant. It's still fantastic, Weird, and we end up it? with great races. If you, you know, you look at as long as, there,
1: as long as you keep the GT chicane you're always going to be alright
2: aren't you Arsenal? yeah I because there's always there's always something happening and everybody's watching it it's a brilliant it's, it's a brilliant place to watch motorbikes. racing unfortunately the, the rain and the wind and you never know quite what you're going to get but sometimes you just say that's the making of a weekend but there's no greater to in the world than the Dutch fans they just go about it in a quieter different more northern European way but those people live breathe and eat motorbikes they love it
1: we're going to have uh, David Emmett on site, actually, for World SBK. Are yeah, well. we ready for that. Well, do you know what? I'm ready for it in a lot of ways, but I'm not ready for Dave telling me how the correct pronun- pronunciation of the French oh, slang yeah. is oh, yeah. such and such whenever you're oh, on air yeah, for yeah, commentary.
2: Yeah. There might be some pedantry. Pedantry earlier. There uh, be pedantry.
1: But uh, it's going to be good to have David there. Obviously, we'll be, we'll be there as well, Gordo. And uh, we've got a bit of a gap, bit of a holiday. But, uh, well, I say a holiday. Gordon Ritchie doesn't take a holiday. You're going to be working all the way through.
2: Uh, I'll be busy enough, yeah. That's fine. I'm happy enough to be busy. Uh, when you get too busy, it stops being quite as much fun. But no, no, it's not great for the Championship to have a six-week break. I think it's it's probably good for the people that work there because there's been a pretty intense start.
1: I have to say, I've never seen the paddock so keen to get back to Europe from these opening couple of rounds and the reason for that is there's been no let off for everyone because all the way through the winter we finished yeah, in Australia so late, late that it meant that most teams got a week off of Christmas Started and that was it
2: Started normal early so for a lot of the teams and people putting things together and new riders try to get used to things it's been a very eh, tough winter I mean it's when when GPs running 20 odd rounds And now running sprint races as well, it's difficult to moan about any kind of schedule in World Superbike. I mean, you need to be realistic about it all. But ultimately, yeah, that was a pretty intense winter. I mean, I I couldn't believe that I was getting back on a plane to go to Australia. It felt like two weeks, not three months, you know.
1: I'm not going to hear you say people in Superbikes can't complain about the calendar and the situation compared to the MotoGP guys. I've played one round of golf for the last three weeks, Gordo. It's been disastrous. The Superbike calendar, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, Gordo. Obviously, by the time that we're recording in Aston, I'll have had five weeks to play golf. So I'd say I'll have a 30 rounds in by the time that uh, we get for the next round. But uh, I can't wait to get all ready because and the the battling that we've seen has been really good all the way through the opening couple of rounds.
2: And we're also going back to ML this year, talking about the calendar, which is, yes, it's got, there are elements of Imola that you would like to see the walls push back a bit and etc it's an old school track and that comes with baggage and risk and there's no point hiding it but I think everybody is in love with Imola despite all those things and it's the most magnificent track of its type in the world you could argue because it's in the middle of Italy you know and everyone surrounding it is quite astonishing there's some brilliant gnarly racetracks in Britain and America etc but none of them are Imola, because it's in the centre of a, a town.
1: Middle of the park, it looks spectacular when it, you're it, there.
2: You, you walk through the place smelling the, the love that the Italians, the, the passion the Italians have got for all things in life including motorsport.
1: And it's a fun track as well, you've got such a fast section at the start of the lap, it's wide open and then by the time you come to Toze and you come up the hill it changes character completely and you're into a proper, it's almost like you know a road racing track you've got the trees lining it you've got shadows coming into effect you've got uphills downhills Piratella going Everything. up
2: down that left and in the right it's just astonishing Fantastic. and the cameraman can't keep up with it because it's so up and down it's very difficult for the kid. Ca- you watch that in the weekend you when the race comes you will see that it's actually kind of one and a half seconds of camera one and a half seconds of camera one and a half seconds of camera at certain sections of that racetrack because it is in all the trees in the way and everything else.
1: Yeah, it's uh, going to be good when we go back there in the middle of July. That's going to be a little bit of a busy period. we we'll go Donington to Imola to Mosques, then into the summer break and then three rounds in September as well before the final round of the year in Argentina. But as it is, we've had two rounds in the books and Alvaro Bautista might be holding a, a comfortable championship lead. He might have won five out of six races. It's nice to see top rack winning in the Super Bowl race again we had so much to cover Gordon we didn't even mention that
2: oh I mean he broke his duck in in some style he doesn't like winning those races I want to win full races he says and I understand all that but it had to happen and to me it was going to be him and he loves this place. He loves Mandalika. He thinks it's just a, a brilliant layout track. He just loves the place.
1: Two poles and a row for Top rack as well. Yeah. So that bodes very well for him. And uh, we'll wait and see if he's able to make it a hat trick at Aston. But uh, Gordo. Thanks for joining us as ever on the Paddock Pass podcast.
2: Absolute pleasure.
1: And a big thank you to everyone for supporting the podcast. Check out patreon.com forward slash paddockpasspodcast. On that, we've got a lot of additional content. Adam, David and Neil have recorded something about uh, the Spanish world champions that were missing in the MotoGP class. Have a look at that to hear them talk about danny pedroza um but we're gonna have a lot of additional content all the way through the year on patreon obviously throughout the course of a motor gp weekend we're gonna have our paddock note show bringing you all the latest information from the paddock and uh, in world sbk we're going to try and have as many additional shows as we can through the course of the year a few little topics here and there for us to cover and just to flesh out a little bit so keep an eye on patreon.com forward slash paddock past podcast for rent street big thank you for supporting the podcast as ever and until next time in the paddock past podcast big thank you for myself steve english and gordon ritchie
0: this episode of the paddock past podcast was produced by jensen beeler david emmett steve english and Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. All
1: right, JB, we're in the hotel, so hopefully the aircon's not too bad for you again. It is a fair bit away, so it should be okay. We're going to clap in three, two, one.